Hi, welcome to Check It Out with EVPL. I'm your host, Lori, and I'm here today with Jamie. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I work at the McCullough Branch down off Washington. Yep, Jamie is the one that does our TBR episode, so you should be pretty familiar with her. And if you're not, you need to listen. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to cover gothic literature. Now, I love this time of year. Mm -hmm. I look forward to this all year. The rest of the months have their pluses and minuses, but I am counting the days. And as soon as this season is over, I start counting for the next one. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. I think I went to Spirit Halloween the first week it was open. I haven't made it. I've seen it as I've driven by. I haven't made it in there yet. twice so far. (laughs) That might be problematic. My budget is not what needs to be spending on those things right now. (laughs) But this is the time of year that I actually start collecting decorations for my general house. Yes. Because they stay out all year. Well, agree. I don't keep everything of this season out all year, Mm -hmm. but there are elements that I will absolutely value. One thing I don't have that I want to get is the raven, like Mm -hmm. the Edgar Allan Poe style raven. Yeah. I want one of those. I want it on a bookshelf in my house. (laughs) I want to leave it slightly dusty, which in my house will not be a problem. Uh, And so that adds to the aesthetic of that decor. Yeah. This year I am keeping an eye out for like the universal monsters, so Frankenstein oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. the mummy. The so, top ten. Yes. Yes, exactly. I finished decorating my bathroom recently and it is vampire themed. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to move into the living room, which is just kind of general creepy crawlies. Yes, yes. <laughs> that that is going to be a very effective way of sorting your visitors. <laughs> Between the ones that you are going to enjoy and the ones that are going to excuse themselves. And that is probably for the best. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds an awful lot like what my mom told me. (laughs) Are you aging me over here? No. (laughs) She just came in and looked at it and was like, well, it's not my choice. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a bad choice. I actually think that that's very beneficial. Mm-hmm. because your visitors will sort themselves yeah. for you without you having to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a plus. Yes. So I want my house to look like the interior of a gothic horror movie set. That's basically ah. what it is. I mean, I think I hang out with all the cool people, so that works for me. <laughs> so... The word gothic has a couple different meanings. There is the traditional literary term, but there's also the pop culture term, and they don't always mesh up necessarily. So today's episode, we're probably going to be covering a little bit of both. Right. Um, Yeah. So for listeners, don't expect us to be completely strict on our interpretation of what is and is not goth. We're not textbooks, and we're not literary professors. No. We're just hardcore fans. Yes. And so (laughs) anything that fits within... The feel of what is gothic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a dictionary definition, so I will go ahead and read that. But as Lori was saying, the things we'll be talking about won't necessarily fall within the textbook definition of what gothic literature is. But Mm -hmm. so the definition of gothic fiction is sometimes called gothic horror after the 20th century is a loose literary aesthetic of fear and haunting. The name is in reference to the Gothic architecture of the European Middle Ages, which was characteristic of the settings of early Gothic novels. So when people started really printing Gothic fiction, or I guess even then, they probably wouldn't have called it Gothic themselves. 
just spooky stories. Mm-hmm. You know, ghost stories, hauntings, creepy tales, haunted woods. Yeah. You know, but because of the time period in which it was constructed and the settings, which included a lot of gothic architecture, mm-hmm. that's how it got labeled. Yeah, from what I understand, a lot of the influence of the term gothic was because of the architecture and the settings of those stories. Right, exactly. Because they happened in, like, convents or castles or something of that that is directly affected by that architecture. The the dark house on the side of a hill or Mm -hmm. overlooking the sea. Yeah. The lightning and the thunder in the background (laughs) and all the things, you know. I really quite enjoy some of those old original gothic films. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, of course, they were the cutting edge of the day. Yes. And for us, we can still enjoy them, but we can chuckle a little bit at the melodrama yes. of which those early movies were done, which I enjoy. I, it's kind of fun following the storyline, but also just the way acting and filming was done at the time. Yes. Although sometimes it hits you off guard because I'm a big fan of the older movies, too. Mm-hmm. And so I have... I'd say within the last year or two, been introduced to a older movie from the 60s. It's a Russian film called V, V-I-Y. I could be mispronouncing that. I'm okay. so sorry. Okay. But at the time period, the effects that they used were cutting edge. Right. And now, yes, it is kind of funny to watch some of those effects. Like, spoilers for a movie from the 60s. There's a coffin that flies around in the air. Okay. It's kind of funny. However... Some of the other effects that they do in that movie, because they were done with film and not computers, Mm -hmm. mind-blowing. Right. The creativity that was used Mm -hmm. with the limited tools that they had for that time period is pretty amazing. Yes. I mean, that really shows that artistic ability that with limited tools you can still create that effect and that aesthetic. Yes. And not to go off on a tangent, because this is on a subject... But in general, I feel like movies should be going back to practical effects because the difference in the quality is just mm, so interesting. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. So I'm going to have to meditate on that before I form a real opinion on it. A good example of this is The Black Phone, which came out fairly recently okay. with Ethan Hawke in it. So Tom Savini made the mask for The Black Phone. Okay. And he worked pretty heavily on 70s and 80s old slasher flicks, specifically some of the John Carpenter films. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even watching that film with the computer effects that it did have, the physical effects were so much more emotionally powerful Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Totally off topic, though. Sorry. (laughs) All right. All right. So you and I both really love a spooky time of year. We look forward to the books we're going to read. We look forward to the movies we're going to watch, decorating or adding decorations to our houses. (laughs) But I also feel like, as with most things in life, we're on a spectrum. And your, your part of the spectrum is different than mine, I feel like, mm-hmm. because you like the real slasher horror yes. type films and books. Is books correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm more, almost more the traditional gothic vibe. I, mm-hmm. I like spooky. I like creepy. I don't like slasher. Sure. You know, and so I, I actually like that we're both here because we can both expound on our area of choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think one thing that always did kind of, as a younger individual, pushed me away from the goth mm-hmm. uh, literature was the romantic aspect to uh, it. Yeah. Um, because there's a very strong romance vibe running through most of gothic literature. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. And that's not a big sell for me. In fact, that's going to lead me to one of the ones I was going to bring up, which has been both a book and a movie. 
and it's one of my favorite Agatha Christie books, and that's And Then There Were None, mm-hmm. which I would definitely put in the gothic fiction realm because it is that remote house in the middle of nowhere. I think at some point, it's been a while since I've read it, I think at some point the power goes out, so there's dark and there's candlelight, mm-hmm. and people are being killed one by one. Yes. Very gothic fiction sure. in that kind of vibe without perhaps the actual architecture, but it's got <laughs> that feeling. Yeah. But the movie, they did a, a movie many, many years ago. I, I need to look to see if they're going to redo the movie because the original movie really made me angry. Because it didn't end as the book ended. They completely changed the ending. Mm -hmm. And they changed the ending for the sake of incorporating a romance, which was not in the book. The book did not have any level of romance in it and had a darker ending. Yeah. And the old movie, which I believe was old enough to be a black and white movie. It's been a while. But they didn't end it where... I don't want to give it away. If you've never read it, it's Mm -hmm. definitely worth reading without spoilers. But it it ended differently, and it ended with a romantic element that just wasn't in the book. And so I would love to see that book made into a movie that's true to the story. Sure, yeah. So there are a couple of elements to goth that seems to... Whether we're talking the traditional definition or the more pop culture definition seems to keep popping up in those stories or those movies, films. And one of them is that they usually have a supernatural element to them. And they usually have the idea of claustrophobia and desolation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that the help is nowhere to be found. You are completely on your own. Right. And so I find that there's actually a large overlap between folk horror and gothic literature. There are some very distinct differences, mm-hmm. but the overlap is so interesting. To you're, me. you're not wrong about that. That old folklore and gothic horror, gothic literature definitely shares a lot of the same elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the main difference is that to me at least, folk horror or folklore horror doesn't have any sort of architectural influence to it. Right. And it also misses the element of the past and past choices affecting the present day situation. Right, right. Almost all creepy stories have a a moralistic kind of underpinning to it. Yeah. This person made this choice and look what happened to them. Yes. Sort of. I would not say all of it, especially the more current ones, don't always go down that road. Mm -hmm. But especially originally, it feels like originally it was the creepy stories told around the campfire or the hearth in Mm -hmm. the evening, in the dark evening. And a lot of them, that's how they passed on their object lessons. Yes. You know, don't be like the boy who cried wolf, only uh-huh. only creepier. In fact, a lot of those original fairy tales were much creepier than the, the versions we're aware of. But then eventually it just evolved into, let's write a story. Let's on a, on a rainy holiday where we were all going to do some fun things, see who can come up with the creepiest story. Mm-hmm. And thus Frankenstein by yes. Mary Shelley is born, you know. And I'm trying to remember who her cohorts in that uh, no lord byron was there yes byron was there shelley was there others were there i should have looked this up but they that was their competition well it's raining we can't go outside we can't do the picnics and the things so let's see who can come up with the creepiest story Mm -hmm. which frankenstein is 
a great story. Yes. Well, I love how she dug into not, hey, let's tell a creepy story, but the whole reflection on on mankind and humanity Mm -hmm. in that. And so I just love the artists who can do that. Yeah. They can tell the tale. They can freak you out. But they can also get you meditating on the realities of the Mm -hmm. way we view the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dracula is another classic, I think, of gothic horror, which I have such mixed feelings because I love the story of Mm -hmm. Dracula. Mm -hmm. I can't stand the book. Interesting. (laughs) Now, tell me why. It's so purple prose. It's so flowery. It takes 10 pages to describe something that could be described in five. Yeah. Um, and I just don't have the patience for it. I, I think that might be an element of the time in which it was written. As oh, yes. Composed to the time in which you were born. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And actually, that's why I like those older books. Mm-hmm. I find often, and not always, I just read a book that was recently published that did not do this, and I loved it. But I find newer books rush me. Mm, I could see that. I, I don't like being rushed. I like to know the characters and the elements and the details. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't mean one piece detail. <laughs> I do intend to read that someday, but that's not what I mean. But I still like the time taken to really develop the backdrop. Mm-hmm. And newer books, not all, but some rush me. Sure. And so I like the older, slower style. This is not a gothic fiction book, but this is the one exception, or at least the one that made me start t- having exceptions, was Les Miserables. Yeah. I was always big on the unedited version uh-huh. until I read Les Miserables. <laughs> and I'm like, you did not need to go into a full one or two chapters on the sewers of Paris. <laughs> okay. They come into play. You could have mentioned it, but chapters and chapters about why aren't we fertilizing with this stuff? I don't care. <laughs> I wonder though because of the time period that it was written how it was published was it published as a serial in the it's paper? a good question i don't know that les miserables was i would have to look but i do know that some authors were paid by the word yes and so if that was the case then that's why i'm sure some of them <laughs> said how long can i make these books <laughs> And I understand that motivation. They all got to pay rent. (laughs) So I kind of came up with a list of the classics that people think of when they think of gothic fiction. Mm -hmm. And you've already mentioned two of them. Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and then Dracula by Bram Stoker. Confession, I haven't read the book Frankenstein, but I have read Dracula. Anything by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yes. I have someone gifted me with a really beautiful copy of his complete tales. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't read them all, but every year I read a couple more, especially Mm -hmm. around this time of year. I've actually read this one, but I've decided this year I want to reread The Telltale Heart. It's been a really long time. Such a good story. I love that story. Talk about a moralistic teaching, though. (laughs) Absolutely. But, Um, I mean, I get it. I do. I absolutely get it. Yeah, I'm a huge Poe fan. In fact, I actually have a tattoo from part of his poetry for Annie. And the fever called Living is Conquered at Last. But I love his poetry, and that led me into his short stories. And I do think that he's a great example of a Gothic author. Yes. Um, And in fact, by popularizing the Gothic literature at that time period, Poe inadvertently created most of what we now consider genre fiction. Hmm. So he essentially created the mystery, including the idea of a detective solving a mystery 
in a story. Mm-hmm. And he also popularized horror. Hmm. I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. I mean, he is who we think of when we think of gothic fiction. We've yes. got the raven croaking and <laughs> knocking on the chamber door and yep. all of those elements. And without probably the true architecture element of it, still that creepy old house. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I think about it, actually, some of them do take place in older castles and things yeah, like that. Yeah, Mask of the Red Death does. That's the one I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Fall of the House of Usher. Right. Which is another one I have not yet read. I'm kind of too distracted, so I couldn't work my way through all of the tales before I read it, moved on to another thing. Well, I have seen online they're apparently either have or are recently making essentially remakes of Fall of the House of Usher. Oh. Um, but they're not doing it as a traditional story. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, it is like Lady Usher. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll Sometimes see. I like that. It all depends on how it's done. Mm-hmm. Another example of classic Gothic literature is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. True. True. That is absolutely classic. And one of the first ones I would say that was probably actually born in America. Yes. A lot of Gothic fiction was European. Yeah. But that is one of the yeah. first gothic-y style tales that was born in America. Yeah, and American goth stories actually kind of popularized the idea of an anti-hero as well, which I think might be part of why the American identity is so tied to the anti-hero. We want to see ourselves as the Mm anti-hero, and it's something that we popularize. Now, I wouldn't say created, Mm -hmm. but we identify with that. Uh, Yeah, and we produce what we identify with. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Well, and then also for American horror, an element that I think gets left behind a lot is Southern Gothic. And that is probably my favorite type of Gothic literature. Now, I'm less familiar with that, so I want to hear about this. Sure. So, Southern Gothic is an artistic subgenre, I'm quoting here from Wikipedia, Uh, that is heavily influenced by Gothic elements and the American South. Common themes include storytelling of deeply flawed, disturbing, or eccentric characters who may be involved in hoodoo, decayed or derelict settings, grotesque situations, and other sinister events relating to or stemming from poverty, alienation, crime, or violence. And this genre came about after or during, excuse me, the Reconstruction era, specifically poor families that were facing new challenges due Mm -hmm. to poverty, Mm -hmm. along with cultural and religious value changes and vacuums. So the way you're describing it and the way you're reading it, the image that immediately pops in my mind is that of Marie Laveau. Yes. So that kind of description. Yeah. See here, some good examples. I know a good modern example of Southern Gothic would be Dark and Shallow Lies by Ginny Myers Sane. Mm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And that is a young adult book that I read last year that was really good. It takes place down in the bayou. Oh, okay. Bayou automatically keeps that creepy feeling. I think it's because it's untamed. Yes. Something about, for me, it's that Spanish moss hanging mm-hmm. off the trees. And especially if it's dark and misty, foggy. You're immediately in creep zone, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, because nature controls everything out there. If you fall into the water, who's going to come help you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you get lost in that fog and that Spanish moss, good luck. Yeah. Another good example of Southern Gothic literature that is fairly recent is Revelator by Daryl Gregory. I read that last year as well, and it is about a woman 
who was raised in the Appalachians, mm-hmm. and her family is part of a mysterious cult. Okay. She leaves. She finds out that they have another little girl. Oh, I think I remember hearing about this It book. was such a good book. She has to go back to save this little girl from the cult. Uh-huh. And as the reader, you're led to believe that, you know, these people are just kind of crazy, and they're, right. you know, making this up, and then right. you start getting hints of, like, maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is some element to that, Maybe. but it was such a good book. I loved that, or the setting of it was during the Prohibition era, mm-hmm. so you get to see what it was like for an Appalachian individual who runs stills out in the forest, and that right. is that is how she provides for herself. Right, and it just gives such a good insight to that aspect. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I was looking online at other examples of the traditional Gothic fiction and mentioned Dracula and Frankenstein, but one that came up, which caught my attention, although I haven't read it, is Romance of the Forest by Anne Radcliffe. And the reason it caught my attention, first of all, I was surprised I hadn't heard of it if it's considered something of a classic, but I actually remember hearing of it once when I was watching the movie Emma, the one with Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's this conversation she's having with Harriet Smith. For those who know the story, Harriet Smith was in love with this farmer that Emma thought she could do better. And they were having this little conversation about, oh, I told him to read The Romance of the Forest. And so when I found that pop up in my search for gothic fiction, I'm like, oh, I remember that from Emma. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I did not realize. I mean, when you hear Romance of the Forest, I thought, oh, she was probably telling this guy, hey, read this little romance book, but Mm -hmm. it's not that at all. It is actually a gothic fiction tale that's considered a classic. So the Romance of the Forest is set in a Roman Catholic Europe of violent passions and extreme oppression, and the story follows the fate of its heroine Adeline, who is mysteriously placed under the protection of a family fleeing Paris because of their debt. They take refuge in a ruined abbey in southeastern France where sinister relics of the past, a skeleton, a manuscript, and a rusty dagger are discovered in concealed rooms. So when I read that description and forget the title for a moment, I'm like, that's definitely gothic fiction. Yes, absolutely. And definitely going to be added to my we need to read this book list. Yeah, one book that I have wanted to read for a while that is definitely gothic fiction is uh, Rebecca no, by Daphne du Maurier. I am so sorry, whoever is French out there listening <laughs> to me try and pronounce these things. But Rebecca is a classic movie as well, and in fact, they recently remade it. I personally would not recommend the remake. Just going to put that out there. I tend to avoid the movies of books that I intend to read until I've read them. And so since I haven't read the book yet i have avoided that movie Mm -hmm. but that one is definitely on my tbr list for some of the gothic fiction titles because the thing is even though i plan every year i'm going to read new gothic fiction and i do i always add at least a couple of more books to my have read pile there's just so many i have not yet got to and so rebecca is on my tbr Mm -hmm. list But also doing research on this episode, there were a lot of examples of gothic fiction that I had previously read that I didn't necessarily recognize as gothic fiction. Like? The first one was uh, The Yellow Wallpaper. Yes, I had the same experience. I love that story, but I was really surprised that it popped up as an example of gothic fiction. Yeah, because to me, it was more feminist 
than it yes. was gothic. And if you know the story of the writer, it's definitely that. Mm-hmm. Which makes me think maybe there is an element of the gothic fiction genre, especially with the tie-in with the Southern or the Southern mm-hmm. American gothic ideas mm-hmm. of oppression being part of the main character's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had read The Yellow Wallpaper many, many years ago. And for some reason, it popped up again for me like a year ago. And I thought, I want to reread that. And I actually bought a copy of that and other short stories by the same author and reread it. And it's just, it is creepy. Mm-hmm. It is definitely creepy, but I never looked at it as a gothic fiction until that came up in my research. Well, and now I get it. There is the claustrophobia That's element true. a lot. The architecture of the room is what keeps her enclosed. Mm -hmm. There's the supernatural element, whether real or imagined, of seeing things in the wallpaper. Yes, yes. And in a lot of gothic fiction, although not all, there's this element of madness. Yes. And that definitely comes into play. Oh, yeah. With the yellow wallpaper. Yes. Another one I was surprised by to be described as gothic fiction is, this is like the second episode this book has come up in, Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that one. There are parts of it, yes, I agree with. Mm -hmm. That there is the claustrophobia aspect. There's no supernatural element, as far Mm -hmm. as I remember. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like all of them do have that supernatural aspect. Going back to, and then there were none. Mm -hmm. No supernatural aspect to that. It is genuinely creepy. Yeah. But there's nothing supernatural about what's going on, and nobody suggests that there is mm-hmm. not not even any of the the players yeah go who what's really going on here they know something's up mm-hmm. but they all attribute it to real life happenings sure and another example of gothic literature that has no supernatural element is the lottery by shirley jackson yes which i think that was another popped up that surprised me as being included in gothic fiction mm-hmm. i mean scary i don't know when i think gothic fiction i think spooky and when i think of the lottery i do think scary but i don't necessarily think spooky it could be because she also wrote we have always lived in the castle so maybe she has just been categorized as a gothic author yeah that's true i i don't know that this is accurate but if say stephen king were to write a book people are automatically going to jump to horror Yes. And that's not always the case with his writing. True. In fact, his most recent one, Fairy Tale, um, has nothing to do with horror. I am looking so forward to that book. I have got it on my hold list, <laughs> waiting for it to come through. Well, it's funny you mentioned Stephen King because The Shining yes. could be considered gothic literature. True. That old remote hotel in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere in the dead of winter. Yeah. The desolation of yes. being out in the middle of nowhere with no help. The madness, like you had said earlier, that element of madness comes into play yes. as well. Yes. So I was just going to mention some what I would call gothic-esque books that I have read and that I like. And one of the more recent discoveries for me is The Stranger Diaries by Ellie Griffiths. And I had not heard of her before, like maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember how I stumbled across her book, but I like it. Yeah. And whenever someone who comes into the library and they're looking for something to read and I know that they like mysteries or things, I almost always recommend that book if I think that's within their parameters. Mm-hmm. I've read others, other books by her since then and I have enjoyed them very much, but I still, maybe it's because it's the first one I read, but it's my favorite still. Yeah. And it's got a gothic fiction feel because it's set 
in a school in England, but it, the school itself is set in a really old mansion that was had once in the past belonged to uh, a famous writer who wrote gothic fiction. <laughs> and he's a fictional person, not an actual famous writer. Like mm-hmm. It's not the house of Bram Stoker, but it's like a house of someone who in that world wrote gothic fiction and now that school is housed in the mansion that he had lived in. Anyway, so what takes place is one of her fellow teachers has been murdered. And so, and it's set in modern times. It's not set in the past. Mm-hmm. And as they're investigating the death of this person, they're interviewing the main character and they're asking her about specific dates. And she'd always kept a diary. So she said, I'm going to go back and I'll look through my diary to see if I mentioned anything on those dates that make me think would be important for the investigation. So she gets out these diaries that she keeps locked up at home. And she opens to the dates in question, and she finds a line of script in there that is not written by her. It's written in completely different handwriting, and it says something along the lines of, Hello, you don't know me. Oh, that's creepy. Yes, exactly. And so there's that element, but then a lot of the setting and the action takes place in that old house. Mm-hmm in that old mansion where the school is set. And so even though it's a modern setting, it definitely has that gothic fiction kind of energy to it. Sure. And I really liked it. It was a well-done book. Yeah. And the ending had a a surprise twist after the resolution. I don't know if I have any gothic horror that I've read that is in a modern setting recently, Mm -hmm. but I did read one fairly recently called The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. Yes, I've read that one as well. Oh, that's such a good book. (laughs) I'm so excited for the sequel. It has not been published yet. Okay. On Goodreads, the author has acknowledged that she is going to write a sequel. Oh. But that's all the information I know right now. That's it. And I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) That book hit me. Out of nowhere, I would I did not expect to enjoy that book nearly as much as I did. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, because obviously both Jamie and I have read this, uh, this book is set in an old time, incredibly religious patriarchal society. And it's kind of like an alter universe kind of thing. Yes. And it is about a woman whose family and mother at one point was accused of witchcraft. And now she is starting to discover that Perhaps there are some of those elements that were real um, and that she is starting to maybe embrace some of those elements, um, which are definitely painted by the other characters in the book as like this evil entity um, that is going to be taking over her. Whereas as a reader, I interpreted it more as she is discovering her independence. Right. I was thinking that line exactly. Discovering what do I think, Mm -hmm. not what am I told to think. Yes. And the elements that make me think of that whole gothic feeling is um, there's that forest Mm -hmm. that's dark and it's creepy. And and she ventures in there even though she's absolutely not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. So another one, I definitely think this falls within this category, The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield. And so this woman is raised... In a bookstore. Her father owns a bookstore and she's always categorized. She kind of takes a lot of joy out of getting everything categorized just Mm -hmm. right. But she also writes and she researches and she does articles. And there's this famous writer. So the mystery surrounding the writer that she's researching, uh, and the writer she's researching is a very reclusive author whose name is Vita Winter. And she had published a book of tales called The Thirteenth Tale, but there's only 12 tales in the book 
And so part of her research in wanting to go and interview this writer is where's the 13th tale, Mm -hmm. you know, and theories have been expounded upon forever. And so she goes out and she stays with her and she lives in an old crumbling house as a lot of these are set. But there's this mystery and in the unfolding of the book, she's telling the tale of her family her brother and her sister and her mother and they all are just it's like a very strange family not strange in the way that we're all kind of you know, everybody <laughs> goes my family's weird no my family's weird this family was weird like Adam's <laughs> family weird yeah uh, almost it, it, more like there's this is where the elements of madness come into okay. play and among all of them and I don't want to give too much away but it definitely had that gothic mystery surprise and it's got some very dark elements to it. See, this is where I talk about the difference in our spectrum. You like the slasher. Mm-hmm. I like the spooky. And even though I say it's got the darker elements, it's got that spooky vibe more than the slasher vibe. Yeah. But some of the things that come into play definitely give you pause. Mm-hmm. It's one of those so carefully woven tales that it's hard for me to say too much about it without giving anything away but it's definitely worth a read i really really enjoyed it i already mentioned and then there were none we've also both mentioned the yellow wallpaper the house of seven gables now that's a classic i don't think i've read that one i read it a few years ago and to be quite honest i don't really get the spooky vibe from it Mm-hmm. It's always been promoted and advertised that way. And as I read the book, I really enjoyed it. But it doesn't give me that creepy feeling other in the very beginning of the story. The, the person who originally built the House of Seven Gables, he was kind of this creepy old guy. Nobody liked him except his one grandson who just adored him. And this isn't a spoiler because it's in the beginning of the book. <laughs> He's discovered one day just sitting in his chair at his desk dead. And it's got a kind of a creepy, spooky, but that's, for me, where the spookiness ends. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the tale is interesting, and it's in this little town in in New England back in the day, but it's just an unfolding of how the last descendant Mm -hmm. that lives in this house and is trying to make ends meet, she's a single woman with little support and no other surviving family members, and she's trying to maintain her home and her life. Yeah. But it's not exactly what I'd call spooky. But it is definitely one of the titles that pop up mm-hmm. when you look at gothic fiction. So. Hmm. Now, I can't say I've read a lot of gothic fiction, mm-hmm. but I can say I watched a lot of movies. All right. <laughs> I bet you have. Yes. And a lot of TV shows, too. If listeners aren't aware, I'm very big into movies and TV. She's a film buff. <laughs> so that is uh, kind of where I have a little bit more information. I have a couple of recommendations. Go um, for it. The first one I have to recommend because of the cultural relevance, mm-hmm. the scope of the movie in, in that cultural relevance, and also, I just need to make a Nick Cage reference for this episode, <laughs> uh, the movie The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, now I haven't even heard of that one. It is an older movie. Okay. So the reason I make a Nicolas Cage joke is because in his newest movie, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, he's speaks about this movie repetitively okay, and about how much he loves it and his daughter doesn't want to watch it with him because it is a black and white film from the 1920s. It's a German expressionist film, okay, uh, which means it doesn't really have any dialogue or anything like that. Everything is all through visual storytelling. So it's a silent film 
And it is considered a quintessential work of that era of cinema. And it tells the story of an insane hypnotist who hypnotizes people to commit murders. Wow. I've seen that in in some of the crime shows that I watch. I like to watch the Sherlock Holmesian type Mm -hmm. of TV shows and series. I'm I'm currently rewatching Elementary because I really like that. But there's been some of those types of shows where they brought that element in, where they hypnotize someone into committing a crime Mm -hmm. or committing a murder. Now, it's only a 50-minute or so film, so it can be watched by people that aren't super into film. (laughs) But also, I think it is one of those films that if you watch it because of the culture aspect of that movie you will recognize stills from it interesting like you'll recognize a setting or something like that even if you haven't necessarily watched it now i have to watch it because i don't know the title and it's hard for me to imagine that i would recognize any scenes from it but i do know how there's certain things that work into our culture so thoroughly that we know them without having watched or read them you know may the force be with you Everybody uses that. Or my husband will do the Jedi hand waving thing, (laughs) you know, and try to tell me something. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work on me. (laughs) Now, another classic film. This one, maybe get some pushback from the listeners. I don't know. I would consider it, though, a picnic at Hanging Rock. Okay. And so the reason that I think that that is a gothic film is because it is a very remote, desolate area Mm -hmm. where this story takes place. It is about a group of young women back in the day when young women regularly wore like fancy dresses and gloves and stuff like that. Right. Not what I'm wearing. Uh, (laughs) And they go for a picnic at Hanging Rock. One of the girls disappears. It's based off of a true story in Australia. Mm -hmm. Really? Nobody knows what happened to this girl to this day. To this day. Wow. Interesting. So two films that come to my mind that give, again, more of the vibe then the definition is The Sixth Sense. And it kind of weaves in and out of dark and creepy buildings. Yeah. I can rewatch it and still enjoy it, but I remember the revelation at the end of the very first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. And going, but wait! <laughs> and then I would, I kind of mentally went back through the film, and I kept thinking of the different interactions where he seemed to interact with people, the Bruce mm-hmm. Willis character, and going, no, <gasps> No. And it was like at every point I thought uh-huh. differently. I mean, I hate giving spoilers, but I'm like, almost everybody's seen The Sixth Sense, I feel like. I do feel like there is a time period where after a certain point. After that, you had your chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one that I, I think of as well is actually also by M. Night Shyamalan, who did The Sixth Sense, and that's The Village. Yes. And so it's got that isolated, cut off, and mysterious creature in the woods that they're all taught to fear. And I noticed in the filming of that, there's the use of tableau, mm-hmm. where, like, at one point, there's screaming being heard in the distance, and the people are walking toward it to find out, and then there's, they'll, like, pause and freeze in this position for just a moment as the discovery of what's going on is being made. And so it just brings that strange element. Also, the syntax and the wording and the way they talk to each other mm-hmm. brings that older-worldly kind of feeling to the film. Sure. Even though that's misleading. Yeah. Interestingly, the village... Shemlon either may have or almost actually faced a, a suit about that movie. Really? Because... 
The basis of the film is so similar to a book from 1995. It was a children's book. And I actually did read this back in the day. Okay. To the point that when I watched The Village, I had almost like deja you vu. Had the what was the name of the book? So the, movie, or the book was called Running Out of Time. And it is by Margaret Peterson Haddix, who's still a big author. Okay. I've not read that or even heard of the title. Apparently, not very many people have. Okay. But I do remember reading this to the point that, like, I swore. I had to Google right after I watched that movie, like, Uh what book is this? Mm -hmm. What was it based off of? But, yes, I do agree. That's a great story, regardless, I guess, of who wrote it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, Interestingly, because M. Night Shyamalan does try to go toward the creepier, scarier stuff. Mm -hmm. And so... I would put those two films, The Sixth Sense and The Village, in that gothic-y kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. But even though The Happening, for example, is also a scary movie, I wouldn't categorize it in that way. No. It just has a different feeling to it. Yeah. A few other examples of really good traditional historical gothic films is obviously Boris Karloff's Frankenstein. Right great film i don't feel like i need to go into a whole lot of detail about that because at this point you're either gonna watch it or you're not right that's fine after a few decades you know yeah (laughs) similarly with lugosi's dracula right which i do want to say as the film person right now if you have watched the bella lugosi's dracula and you enjoyed it go watch the spanish version really yes so what happened was they filmed the lugosi version during the day Mm -hmm. and while they were filming that the spanish crew watched as it was being filmed Mm -hmm. and then at night when lugosi and all of that crew went to bed so they could start filming the next day the spanish crew came in and shot so it is almost a shot for shot movie just made in spanish interesting versus english and the difference between the quality of the sets the film everything like that lighting so much better in the spanish version interesting having said that i still love lugosi as dracula yes yes well (laughs) also rosemary's baby could be considered gothic depending on how pop culture i guess yeah we're gonna take that definition the exorcist Mm mm-hmm Yep. You said earlier we were talking about in the village the speech patterns and the syntax, yes, how yes. that made a big difference for you. I think that The Witch did that very well as well. That's on my to watch. Oh my gosh, that's one of my favorite. Every season, because I cram as much as I can in, but then I'm going, I'm not going to rush. I'm going to sit and soak and enjoy. <laughs> and so there's ones that have not made it into mm-hmm. my reading yet or onto my watching. And that is one that I would like to watch. That is one of those movies that I love to the point that I will actually put it at the bottom of my list every year thinking that like, oh, well, if I just get caught up on all these other things I want to watch, I'll go Mm -hmm, ahead and watch it. mm -hmm. I always watch it every year. Yeah. (laughs) So I definitely recommend it. It's a very slow film, though. See, I don't mind those so much. There's also Sleepy Hollow. I mean, especially the uh, Johnny Depp I was going to ask if we're going to include that one. Yes. Which is, it's a good one. I enjoyed it. For a more recent film, though, The Nightingale, I would consider gothic. Although it's a little bit more towards folk horror, I guess, than gothic. But it's very difficult to watch um, because it does have a lot of issues with racism um, and slavery. Yeah. And the main character 
is for her time appropriately racist. Yeah. Towards the black man that's attempting to help her, essentially. So there are definitely some parts that are difficult to watch, but it's a great movie. Yeah. I, I have a hard time getting past those elements. And there's excellent movies that I knew were going to end well and were really good that it took me a long time to finally sit down and watch them mm-hmm. because getting past those elements really are just very troubling for me. Yeah. If you want something that is a little longer than a film, but not necessarily a TV show, there's a mini series called Sharp Objects. Ooh, it's so good. Okay. So it's based off of a Gillian Flynn book, which is actually her first book that she published. And it was an HBO show where the main lead was played by Amy Adams. And it is about a woman who is fresh out of a psychiatric hospital. Okay. And she is a reporter. And she is sent to her hometown to cover the murder of two young girls. Okay. And the further she digs into it, the more she starts to question her own childhood. Oh. And how her mother was involved in that childhood. Interesting. So another movie that came to my mind, which, of course, we mentioned Edgar Allan Poe, how key he is to this genre. And a movie came out called The Raven. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought that was well done. It's a serial killer. Yes. That's set within the time period of Edgar Allan Poe's. And he's recreating scenes from Poe's tales in the murders that he's committing. Mm-hmm. But it also weaves, it's not only weaving together those elements of his stories and tales, but it weaves into the mysterious death of Poe because there's been debate over his death because he had been known as a drinker and then he had gotten sober because it was destroying his health. And then toward the end, when he died, it was initially believed and and some still believe that he died uh, because he'd relapsed and he'd gotten cirrhosis of the liver and it was complications to his alcoholism. But then there's other people who have looked at the symptoms and said, no, he didn't relapse. Here's this other potential diagnosis mm-hmm. for his cause of death. And the movie doesn't really suggest one over the other. But as an added mystery, they suggest a different option that's within that fictional mm-hmm. movie. They're not seriously suggesting this is how he actually died. But they weave in that, how did he die? Yeah. At the end of that movie and add that to the mystery of it. Yeah, and it's interesting because I had actually read a little bit about Poe's death fairly Mm -hmm. recently, Mm -hmm. and the theory that I read that I do think has a lot of credence is that, yes, he enjoyed alcohol, and maybe he did have a drinking problem, but more than the alcoholism angle that led to him to issues is his body didn't process alcohol correctly. Mm -hmm. So what might get one person just a little tipsy would get him just trashed. Yeah. So any amount of alcohol... Was really destructive. Yes. And I know that when he died, it was election time. And at that time period, it was very common for politicians to send out their friends yes to go round people up to vote for them and then take them out somewhere get them drunk give them a new pair of clothes take them back out to vote again (laughs) so there is an idea that perhaps he got caught up in that 
Okay, interesting. Considering the context of the time, it's plausible. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know, I don't think. No. But, but the movie was well done. The yes. movie, I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen it in a while. I like to space out. I don't like to rewatch things too often mm-hmm. because then it's I stop enjoying it. And I, I haven't seen that probably in a few years now, so I might have to rewatch that. I always kind of mentally make this list as we're moving into spooky season and go, <laughs> what am I reading this year? What am I watching this year? And sometimes it's a rewatch or a reread. So I have my list, but I'm curious, do you have a, a similar list? What's on your plan? <laughs> I have had my Halloween horror movie list ready for a few weeks already. As soon as September hits, I'm like, okay, I don't care what the temperature is. It's fall. We're getting ready. <laughs> I started in August. <laughs> Well, I I will admit there are certain fallish activities that I like to do that I started thinking about in August and I go, no, no, it's not September yet. Wait Mm -hmm. for September 1st. (laughs) Yeah. Now, a lot of times what I do when I watch older movies, especially if there is a remake of it, is I'll watch the original first and then I'll immediately follow it up with the remake. Okay. Because I like to compare and contrast to see how the story has changed through time off topic but this was a super interesting experiment for the invisible man if anybody else just really wants to get into the invisible man for a year Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but the crow so the original crow from 95 right with bruce lee's son brandon lee who unfortunately passed in the filming of that they're remaking it and it's supposed to be coming out this year in 2022 so we'll see see. i do sometimes especially if it's something i liked i like to watch the remakes that doesn't always go well true But I like it when they do a good job and not just duplicate, because if you're just going to duplicate, then what's the point? But if you can hold true to the story and add a new spin to it, I can really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm kind of excited about it for two main reasons. Okay. The main character is going to be played by Bill Skarsgård. Okay. The same guy who played Pennywise in the new It movies. Oh. So, yay. Hopefully that works out well. It looks like it's actually being directed by Rupert Sanders, and he directed Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell. So, we'll see. I don't know. I was not a super huge fan of Snow White and the Huntsman. But yeah, so The Crow is going to have a remake with Bill Skarsgård, and I'm hoping that he is going to do it justice. Yeah. That's the tricky part. I've seen movies that they've done remakes, and I was really enjoyed the remake as well as the original. But this is kind of a little sidebar. I love the original movie, Rear Window, mm-hmm. and couldn't stand the remake. Yeah. I just didn't feel like they did it justice. I, I understood that they needed to make it differently. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's really no purpose for a remake. But it just did not like how they did it. I felt that way about The Omen. I just did not like the 2006 version. Okay. So do you have any specific titles that you're planning on reading during this season? Yes, but I don't know if they would necessarily fall under Gothic. Um, There is one, and it is actually written by the same author that wrote Year of the Witching, Alexis Henderson. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is called House of Hunger. And that one I'm pretty interested in. Okay. And it is about a young woman who is drawn to upper society because she wants to be part of upper society. And she finds a listing in a newspaper seeking a blood maid. So she looks into it and finds out that the nobles live in luxury and drink the blood of those in their service. Oh my. 
And so she applies, and in a matter of days, she finds herself working at the House of Hunger. And she is brought into a hedonistic court where she is taken a special interest in. And it looks like it's going to be a very sapphic cat and mouse vampire story. Okay. Well, it definitely, with the blood drinking, definitely had that vampiric element. And I was mm-hmm. really curious about whether it was going to be actually a vampire tale mm-hmm. or just shared that... I'm not sure because even with the year of the witching, like we know as readers that some of the supernatural elements are real. Right. But it could be a very unreliable narrator too. That's also true. We'll just have to find out, I guess. What about you? Do you have any? I always. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, I said this first title last year that I was going to read it and I never got to it. (laughs) So this year I am going to read it. And that is The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. It's Mm -hmm. a classic gothic fiction from the past. It's a solidly thick book. So (laughs) it's going to take me a minute. As much as I love to read, finding time to read is often a challenge for me. Yes. I can read quickly, but I don't often get to read as much as I'd like to. And so Mm -hmm. it takes me longer to go through the books. And it's a solid book. But I keep saying I want to read it. And every time someone mentions, ooh, The Woman White, I'm like, I haven't read that yet. (laughs) I'm also wanting to read Northanger Abbey, believe it or not, by Jane Austen because, and I didn't know this until not that long ago, she wrote Northanger Abbey kind of as a tongue-in-cheek at gothic fiction. Okay. And actually, it's one of her titles I haven't read. I've read many, but not all, of Jane Austen's novels, and it's one of the ones that I wanted to get to. And so when someone introduced that aspect to it, I'm like, oh, that's moving right up the list, too. (laughs) I have to read this now because I liked her wit and her different way of viewing the world. Mm -hmm. Everybody was supposed to think this way in the world, and she kind of had a different way of viewing things, and I like that about her. So I really want to see her tongue-in-cheek spin on a gothic fiction tale. Yeah. And then as part of my book club that I host at McCullough, I always want to have something kind of spooky to read, of course, for this time of year. And so we're reading The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. I enjoyed that one. Now, I haven't read it. And for me, there's so many authors that I know are excellent out there and I have not got to. So this will be my first Ruth Ware book. And I often hear, not compared as in similar styles, but in, in the genre, I hear her compared with Stephen King frequently. Interesting. Again, not because their styles are the same, but just there are no names within those type of genres mm-hmm. as the way it's presented to me. And so because I have not yet read her and I wanted something appropriately spooky for the spooky season we're heading into, that seemed like a suitable choice for the book club. That's a good one. I enjoyed that book a lot when I read it. There are similar themes to a movie that I almost talked about in today's episode, and I guess might as well now because I said I almost did, uh, <laughs> Gaslight. Um, yes. And that it isn't actually gothic, but so many of the elements are there, yes. you could kind of maybe blur the lines and think that it is. That was barely on my radar, but it's been mentioned more and more in recent years, and so that's definitely a film I would like to see. It's it's great. We have a copy here at Central. (laughs) It has both the 1940 and the 1944 version, if that's what you get into. (laughs) Have you seen both? Yes, I have. And if you were going to recommend one over the other, what would you choose? I prefer the 44 okay, the version. Yeah, the older one, Um, the newer one. Well, the newer one just came out, actually. they, They remade it. 
It's not a terrible movie. Okay. It does not hold a candle to gaslight. I do find it challenging to suspend my judgment if I really loved a specific film or book. The newer one, the story is well done. I like the story. The acting is campy. Mm. And you can see the ending coming from a mile away. Okay. Yeah. It had the potential, though. I would still recommend it if somebody was interested in that kind of film. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, it's not the same as the original. Another book I want to read, I don't know if I'll actually get to it this season, is The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Love that book. I've read another one of his books, Mm -hmm. which was The Final Girl Support Group. Yes, which I'm working on right now. Right. No, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Yes. Circling back to that one. I thought it was very good. I did not expect going into this book as a child of born in 89. Okay. Okay. So very tail end of the 80s, mostly a 90s child. I did not expect to identify with and care about the main characters, which are 80s housewives. Interesting. So much. But they they won me over. I want to hang out with them. Now... You've read that book, and you're partway through his yeah, other book. about 70% through. Would you say the paces are similar? I think that Vampire Slain book is a little bit slower. Okay. I was wondering it because, you know, in the Final Girl Support Group, the main characters are young women. Yeah. And so when you start talking about 80-year-old housewives. 80s. Oh, From 80s. the 80s. From the 80s housewives. It made me think, I wonder if there's a different pace just to kind of match the age of the main characters. There is. And the book itself, it has been a hot minute since I've read it, so grain of salt, actually has some time jumps. Okay. Not very big ones from what I understand or from what I remember, but there are some time jumps to kind of like explain some stuff. Obviously, the book has vampires in it. That's in the title. I don't think that's a spoiler. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's housewives in the 80s, and I think that there is some cultural commentary going on Mm -hmm. of nobody wants to be the person to get involved and make this issue known. Uh So they basically just pretend that the vampire is not a vampire for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really enjoy books that do that. They just pretend this thing that's happening isn't really happening. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of, and I haven't read it yet, but I've read enough to know that this is a part of it. And it makes me think of the book When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill, which there is what's called the mass dragoning of 1955, in which 300,000 women spontaneously transform into dragons. But it's one of those things that's hushed up. And we don't talk about what happened to your great aunt Rachel. (laughs) And I just, I find it really funny where, whether we're talking about the dragoning or the vampire slaying book. Oh, yeah. Where they're just, this this isn't really happening, mm-hmm. you know. And there's just this element to polite society that says, if it's not a done thing, even though it's happening right in front of us, we're just going to pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that element, I just... I'm very amused by whenever I read that or watch that in a film. Yeah, I have heard that book recommended on Book Talk a few times, and that is one that I actually am interested in because sometimes I feel like a dragon. I really want to read that book. My problem with the new books as they come into the library is 
I take them home, and then I look at the stack I already have at home, uh-huh. and I'm not sorry. I like really kind of handling them and looking at them and, and perusing them a little bit, but sometimes I do return them before I've gotten a chance to read them with the intention of adding them to that list mm-hmm. because I just can't read as much as I think I can. Yeah. Well, thank you listeners for joining us today while we talked about gothic literature and then rambled for a little bit. <laughs> As you can tell, this is a popular topic with us. Yes. We could go on. <laughs> if you have any topics or uh, anything that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, please email us at podcast at See you next time. Bye.